Come into this place of peace and let the silence heal your spirit. Come into this place of memory and let its history warm your soul. Come into this place of prophecy and power and let its vision change your heart. These are the words of Reverend William Schultz. Hi, I'm Reverend Bob Lavalley. I'm so glad to be a part of this gathering today. You might be noticing that I'm not in my church office today. The Wi-Fi is down at the church, so I'm broadcasting from my home office, just like the good old bad old days during the pandemic when we were all doing this from our homes. Well, no matter, no matter where I'm at, I'm so glad to be here with you, and so is our team. Our worship leader today is Geraldine Bowen. Our tech team is Michaela Renz-Whitmore and Chris Paul and Barry Clark and Cheryl Romanek. And I want to thank our Time for All Ages creator, Reverend, Reverend Emily Wright Magoon. And just thank you to everybody. It takes a village to make worship happen. And if you're visiting today, if it's your first or second time, or you're just dialing in from far away, not in Albuquerque, you're invited to put your name and location in the chat. We love to say hi to our friends who are farther away than just the, the city of Albuquerque. Geraldine has some announcements to share. Good morning out there, friends. As we fall into fall, First Unitarian is planning to welcome two other congregations onto our campus. The Albuquerque Center for Spiritual Living and the Menara Muslim Community. Menara and the Center for Spiritual Living have been sharing a property they recently sold and looking for a new place to worship. It's a joy to invite both groups onto our campus, not only as renters, but also as partners in the work of love and justice. In addition to the formal rental agreement, our ministers have created a covenant with the Reverend Amani Malika and Imam Abdor Ruf Campos Marchetti. In service to deepening our interfaith partnerships, the covenant preamble states that, quote, our congregations are distinct yet share values of love, justice, and diversity. We recognize and affirm our mutual commitment to creating a world that works for all and acknowledge the need for a collaborative, multidisciplinary effort in creating the world we know is possible, a world of peace, unity, and human dignity for all. To find out more, take the link to the whole covenant in the October Messenger. At First Unitarian, we are delighted that we have a strong program of covenant groups. Covenant groups are small gatherings of people, eight to 10 folks, that will be meeting regularly from October through April. And these intimate gatherings are places to make friends on a much more meaningful level. They're a place to ponder the core questions of life and hear what others are thinking about those core questions too. Covenant groups are a space like no other space, a space where participants are challenged to listen deeply and not just listen with our brains, but with our hearts. They're a place for vulnerability and courage and deep relationship. I cannot recommend this enough. If you wanna have a deeper sense of connection to this larger community of First Unitarian, and also a deeper sense of connection to your own theology, your faiths, your beliefs. So if you're interested in learning more, you can ask questions by emailing covenant, at c-o-v-e-n-a-n-t, at uuabq.org, covenant at uuabq.org, or read more at the link that we're putting in the chat right now. So, Geraldine will lead us in lighting our chalices here and at home. In the crystalline clarity of the newborn autumn light, we come together to affirm what we most deeply know within, that we are each here to live our truth and that we are all one. May the flame of our sacred chalice kindle the flame of love in every heart and lead us on day by day in this earthly sojourn held in a shared grace every step of the way, come what may. Thank you. 
Unitarian Universalists. We are people of faith with open minds, loving hearts, and helping hands. Hi, I'm Reverend Emily Wright Magoon, and and this is this is Marshmallow, and we have a story for you today, a story for all ages. This is an ancient Zen parable. It's a story about a monk and her student. One day after their lunch, they were sitting by the side of a stream, washing their bowls in the water of the stream. When all of a sudden the student noticed a scorpion who was struggling in the current of the stream and looked like the scorpion might drown. And the student said to the monk, Oh, what shall we do? The scorpion may drown. I would rescue it, but I know that scorpions bite. 
And so the monk, the teacher, she scooped her hands up and rescued the scorpion. And as she was placing the scorpion down on the grass, oh, the scorpion bit her. She said, oh, oh, that was painful. She sat back down and they both continued to wash their bowls. When all of a sudden the student said, look, teacher, I see the same scorpion in the water again, continuing to struggle. What will you do this time? The teacher said, well, hopefully the sting will be more gentle this time. She put in her hands and scooped the scorpion out. And as she was putting it on the ground, ouch, the scorpion bit her again. And the student said to the teacher, why do you keep rescuing the scorpion if you know that it will bite you each time? And the teacher, the teacher said, well, just as it is in the nature of water to be wet, and it is in the nature of scorpions to sting. It is in my nature to help. And so I must help. For after all, one sting is okay if it means to save a life. What do you think of that story? Good. And why doesn't the teacher just use her bowl? Why doesn't the teacher use her bowl to scoop up the scorpion? That's a good idea. Well, that's in the bowl and it can't hurt the bowl. Uh-huh, yeah. So the teacher has lots of kindness and compassion and maybe could use some more ideas for how to rescue the scorpion, right? <laughs> yeah. But all in all, it is interesting to think about what is in our nature to do. It is in our nature to help be of assistance, to be kind, to care? These are good questions to think about, my friends, and I hope we can think about them together this week. Let's think about those together this week. And until then, let's pause the chat for a few moments during our meditation and prayer. Let's find a comfortable seat. Maybe lengthen our spines, as works for our bodies today. Feel where we are supported by the floor, by the chair, or couch, where our hands are resting gently. Take a deep inhalation and draw your shoulders up to your ears. And exhale, soften your shoulders down. We'll do that two more times. Inhale up, soften down. Inhale up, soften down. Let's turn our attention to our breath. We'll feel where our body moves when we are breathing. Maybe our belly, maybe our chest, maybe in our nose. We'll turn our attention to our thoughts, but we won't try to control them. We'll simply be a witness to our breath. Let's be together now in sacred silence.
Trust life and it will teach you in joy and sorrow all you need to know. The great groundbreaking African-American writer James Baldwin said that. As a spiritual family, let us heed his wisdom. Let us find what life has to teach us by sharing our joys and our sorrows in this trusting circle where we can speak our truth and be there for one another. Please use the chat box first to tell us what makes your heart glad, then what causes you pain and distress. If for any reason you can't write in the chat box but want to add your voice to our dialogue, we encourage you to be in touch by emailing caring at uuabq.org.
All these we lift up to the great powers of celebration and healing and renewal known by many names. Let us now enter a time of prayer and reflection. Theologian Howard Thurman talks about the centering moment, the time when we set aside the distractions and busyness of everyday life and focus on the things that are divine, that are holy to us, however we define holy. We seek the holy now in the temple of our own hearts. We grieve the passing of Eric Hall, who was a member here at First U before moving to Tennessee. May light perpetual shine upon Eric. We lift up the women of Iran and women all over the world who make the simple request that they have the right to make their own choices about their bodies. We lift up those who are lonely and those for lack for food or housing. May they find security and comfort. We lift up those who struggle with their health, be it physical, mental, or emotional. May they find healing. We lift up those who are excluded from their families of origin because of what they believe or who they love. May they find peace. And we celebrate the gathering of families, those biological families and the families we create out of love. We give thanks for this Unitarian Universalist congregation. May it be healthy in process and fruitful in outcomes. And we celebrate the things that bring us hope, the eternal possibilities of learning, of love, of growth. Let us see the beauty and holiness of the streets that we travel on. Let us see the beauty and holiness in the people we serve. Let us see the beauty and holiness in each other. Let us see the beauty and holiness in ourselves. And may we all be held in the heart of love. Thanks for being here together.
The Thing Is by Ellen Bass. The thing is to love life, to love it even when you have no stomach for it, and everything you've held dear crumbles like burnt paper in your hands, your throat filled with the silt of it. When grief sits with you, it's tropical heat thickening the air, heavy as water, more fit for gills than lungs. When grief weighs you down like your own flesh, only more of it, an obesity of grief. You think, how can a body withstand this? Then you hold life like a face between your palms, a plain face, no charming smile, no violet eyes. And you say, yes, I will take you. I will love you again. I love that Ellen Bass poem. Well, hey, it's the first Sunday of fall. Summer is over. And at Unitarian Universalist churches all across the continent, it's a time of in-gathering services, bringing congregations back together and beginning another church year. And speaking of New Year's, tomorrow is Rosh Hashanah, which is the new year in the Jewish calendar. Part of their observances include blowing the shofar, which is a ram's horn. And the Talmud says in that moment, sleepers, wake up from your slumber. So everybody, wake up, come on. <laughs> in a video that our Unitarian Universalist Association president shared recently, Reverend Susan Frederick Gray said, as we grow in this sacred hour, as we, I'm sorry, as we gather in this sacred hour and join again in community, may we each remember that we are more together then we are alone. We are part of hundreds of thousands of UUs this morning who are calling each other back to greater humanity. Let's hear it for greater humanity. So I've been watching a show on the Hulu streaming network called This Fool, This Fool. And it's set at a nonprofit that works with recently incarcerated men. The nonprofit is called Thugs to Hugs. <laughs> And there's a scene where a new client, fresh out of jail, encounters the director of the nonprofit, and the director is cursing a blue streak about how Richard Branson only gave them $10,000. Rants, and he's swearing and swearing. And when the director leaves the room, the new client says to a staff person, I thought he was a minister. And the staff person explains, he is, but he's a Unitarian. They're like hippies, but angry. I love that so much. And it's just another moment that makes me so happy to be Unitarian Universalist. You know, we as a religion occupy a unique space in the landscape of faiths. There are a lot of things that make us special. Of course, top of the list is that we are non-creedal. That is, we don't ask people to have a certain set of beliefs about the nature of the divine or the existence of the divine or what happens after we die. We're also a religion where the power isn't top-down, but actually bottom-up. Ministers are not assigned to churches by some faraway authority. They are chosen by the congregation. Heck, ministers are not ordained by some faraway authority, but by the congregation. In fact, during an ordination service, the actual act of ordination, the final magic stroke, is done by the chair of the board of that church. So, Michaela, you know, did you know you had that power? <laughs> so how power works within a religion ends up shaping how that religion supports or challenges power structures outside of a religion. And how many times have you used challenged power outside of the church? You know, one, one of my very favorite pictures of all time came from when the UU churches of Arizona we're trying to get rid of the sheriff of Maricopa County, which is in Phoenix. The, sheriff, the campaign was called Bust Arpaio, after Sheriff Joe Arpaio, who abused the migrants who were caught in his system. So in this photograph, Reverend Susan Frederick Gray, who was at the time the minister at our sibling church in Phoenix, Reverend Susan is giving Arpaio the stink eye, their face-to-face, and this tough guy sheriff is looking very, very uncomfortable. 
That picture makes me so happy. So look it up on the internet when you get a chance. It'll brighten your day. But there's another thing about Unitarian Universalism that I think makes it special. We, as a faith tradition, put the humanity of people at the center of what we do. One of the core practices of our faith is humanizing people, insisting that each person is treated humanely, affirming their dignity and worth. Now, to be fair, some other religions try to do this in their own way, some more successfully than others. But I'm not aware of a religion that puts this work for the humanity of others in front of all other concerns. For example, the concern of worship of God. Now, UUs are very welcome to worship God or gods in their own way. But at least at First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque, we won't hear about worshiping God from the pulpit. But we will hear from the pulpit in so many ways about how our journeys are journeys towards a fuller humanity, a humanity that is extended to every person without qualification or bias. This is built in from our universalist roots. And if you didn't experience Reverend Angela's sermon on universalism last week, do your heart some good and go watch it. You can find it on our website. Angela finished her sermon with these words, and they talk about how this church humanizes people. She said, So yeah, this church is for saving people from hells. We gather to save ourselves and each other, and in so doing, maybe we save a little bit of the world, more than any of us could do alone. And, and here's where we really differ from all the a la carte options. We believe this salvation is available for everyone. We are universalists about it. It is never too late. You're not too weird or too awkward or too broken. You were not and are not a mistake. You haven't messed your life up too badly to find meaning now. You don't have to flip tractor tires or do burpees or shop at Lululemon. It's not a heavy lift and it's not a popularity contest. Just come in. Everyone is lovable. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is from one source. We are one family and all are saved. That's the end of the quote. Now, uh, we UUs don't much use, much use the language of saving, but I think in this context, when we hear the phrase saving, the term saving, we can translate that to affirming the worth, dignity, and humanity of everyone. Saving is really affirming the worth, dignity, and humanity of everyone. And that's important now, that's relevant now, because there is so much dehumanizing going on. So many people are made into the other, are scapegoated and blamed, are targeted for who they are, or targeted for the circumstances of their lives that are beyond their control. It is to me truly terrifying the downward spiral into deeper hate and dehumanization that we're, that we're doing right now. You may have heard the expression, they're saying the quiet parts out loud now. And that means that in the past, racists and homophobes and the like used dog whistle language like that cloaked the awful intent behind their words. It was more symbolic. That was the quiet part. But now some people are feeling like they have permission to be just as awful as they can be, to say the hateful parts out loud. And these people are finding each other and creating echo chambers that normalize and accelerate these hateful views. And more and more people are taking the hint and doing violence. We're seeing it here in the city, in the conversation about the city of Albuquerque, in the conversation about the unhoused. It's horrible to watch how people can be so easily dismissed, so easily demonized, to be stripped of their humanity by folks who don't want to take responsibility for the problems that put people out of their homes. In so much of this conversation, the folks who don't have housing are treated, by virtue of their simple existence, as the problem. They are treated as the problem rather than as a symptom of a problem, as victims of a problem. As part of our application process for creating a safe outdoor space here at the church, we had to inform the neighborhood associations by us that we are trying to do this. And I sent emails to all of them. And the other day, an angry neighbor 
confronted our tenant in the Vanguard building. And she said, I don't want you bringing homeless people into our neighborhood. Of course, ignoring the fact that homeless people are very much already in our neighborhood. They're in all our neighborhoods. So by, in fact, when I heard her say this, I thought to myself, uh-oh, she's onto us. We're actually flying homeless people in from Martha's Vineyard. Anyways, pretending that people don't exist, pretending that people don't exist, like the unhoused, that is a way to dehumanize them. When we make people invisible, we are dehumanizing them. Now, folks may be aware that I've been doing some advocacy work on the issue of people being unhoused, and it's wild how rarely poverty comes up in the conversation. The why of it is left out, and that makes it really easy to not be humane, to not acknowledge the truth that we as a community can be judged by what we're willing to accept. We as a community can be judged by what we're willing to live with. At this point, right now, too many people in this community are accepting a view that the unhoused are not people, are not human. So in a world of performative cruelty and outrage, it takes tremendous courage to be gentle, to love well, to read widely, to embrace curiosity instead of bigotry, to pursue kindness instead of hate. It takes a lot of courage to do that. But the cool thing is that this church, our UU faith, tries to do just that. We role model the humanity of every person. We fail sometimes. We're a human institution. But we pray with our service to the community, and we do so much. For example, a few examples. This, there's been an amazing effort here in support of the national UU The Vote campaign. Members of this congregation have written thousands of letters encouraging other folks to vote for a more just and caring world. This church continues to tutor children and to help migrants learn English and get on the path to citizenship. First Few gives away 100 bags of groceries each week. We create communities within our larger church community where people can be their most authentic selves. For example, we have a new group called UU21 that's for queer youth. We have a program that supports each other in their recovery, people in their recovery. And we have a care team that is a companion to congregants when they are enduring misery and loss. We have groups where people can share common interests like Tai Chi or making music. We educate our children. People enter this space and they are shown a path to becoming more human. I just want to add this right here. If you're struggling to find your place in this community, please reach out to me or Lara Magnuson. I've been in a, a congregate in a large churches before, and I know it can be hard to find a place in a big church like this. We want to help you with that. So reach out. Anyways, and as we mentioned in the announcements, starting in October, we are hosting two more religious communities, the Center for Spiritual Living and the Minara Muslim Community. This is while they're transitioning to a new building. The presence of these organizations on our campus will enrich our community. And I'm excited to see what relationships are formed, what new things are learned over the next six months. And not all humanizing has to be a special activity, a special act of service. We also attend to our fundamentals that promote humanity, like worship and teaching. And how about this? Supporting the children and families who are recovering from the collective trauma of the last two years of the pandemic. Just taking care of our own, of people here. Anyways, we do so much, and I apologize for those efforts that I didn't mention, it just wasn't time. But we do so much that one way or another deepens the humanity of the people involved. So, here's an awkward pivot. To do all these things, we need money. Today is the official first day of the pledge campaign for our 2023 operating budget. Over the next six weeks or so, the Radical Generosity Committee will be inviting everyone to make their pledges. 
And I'd like to talk a lot about specifics, a little about specifics, because this is a, a informed congregation and people ask intelligent questions about what the budget is, what their, where their money is going to, and that's appropriate. It's people's dime. So the budget in 2023 will look a lot like the budget in 2022. In 2022, one of the significant things in our budget changes that we is that we reorganized our staffing model and now have a director of finance, a director of congregational life, and a director of facilities. This model is working really, really well, and we're going to continue it. So that's the change that we're going to maintain into 2023. The church would like to give the entire staff a 3% raise, which actually doesn't even keep up with inflation, but that's what we want to do. We'll probably make more investments for the care of the buildings and the grounds. And that's about it. Now, the budget isn't finalized, so there may be changes, but at this point, that's the gist of it. I just want to say something here. For folks who haven't been here for more than a year, I want to make clear that this is the only sermon of the year where the sermon is about giving money to the church. I know it's a topic that people have various degrees of comfort with, but, you know, and we will have announcements and testimonials over the next six weeks, but this is it for sermons on giving money for the church. So here's the thing. While this budget isn't likely to be much more than last year's, last year's budget was only balanced by a single very large and very generous donation that came after the end of the pledge campaign. We can't expect that this year. In order to stay relatively even, folks will have to be more generous than last year. And I'm going to honor your intelligence by sharing a very direct opinion. This is a turning point year. This is the year where we understand the trajectory of this church post-COVID. If we have another shortfall, then the board will have to make some hard decisions about staffing and other priorities. But if we meet our goals, then we have a sense that this new feeling of vitality in the church that we're all experiencing, that this new feeling of vitality is reflected in our financial well-being. And we, look in, we look forward to more momentum, bigger visions, more audacious dreams for the future of this church and this community. That part is up to all of us. It's important to think about why we give. Will we be operating from a space, a place in a spirit of scarcity or a place in a spirit of abundance? So the UU minister and leader William Sinkford wrote, awareness of abundance moves us from gratitude to awe and wonder about the possibilities that present themselves to us all. Religious life is not just about personal piety. It's about reaching for these possibilities, for answering a call to create the beloved community. That's the end of the quote. This time, too, it's, it's also really important to thank the Radical Generosity Committee who lead this difficult and, frankly, thankless tasks of sustaining this religious community. So if you see these people, please thank them. Christina Jovovich, David Wilson, Eric Renz-Whitmore, Caitlin Anderson, Megan Shattuck, and the chair, Chris Kennedy. They are amazing, and they are so good at what they do, and they really keep it going for all of us. The UU minister, Peter Rabel, paraphrased Deuteronomy chapter 6 when he wrote so beautifully about generosity. He wrote, we build on foundations that we did not lay. We warm ourselves at fires we did not light. We sit in the shade of trees we did not plant. We drink from wells we did not dig. We profit from persons we did not know. We are ever bound in community. Mm. Back to humanity. So that show, this fool that I was talking about with the foul-mouthed UU minister who I identify with, for all its hilarious vulgarity, is still at its heart about people trying to regain their humanity, to be their authentic selves and know that their authentic selves have worth and dignity. This religious community, this church, this first Unitarian of Albuquerque makes the work of humanizing happen with yes, with money, but it makes the work happen with our also with our generosity of spirit and the courage to see past the hate to the humanity in everyone. So let us see 
the dehumanizing forces for what they are, and let us place ourselves in the way. Let us interrupt the dehumanizing forces with our insistence on our common humanity. This church can do that. May it be so. Our change for the future recipient for September through November is Art Street, a community art studio used primarily by unhoused people and operated by Albuquerque Healthcare for the Homeless. Art Street also offers art therapy groups for the unhoused with a focus on dealing with the effects of trauma. In our unjust socioeconomic system, more and more people find themselves without a safe place in which to lay their heads down at night without any shelter they can call their own, without the mere basics that human dig their human dignity calls for. They are also often treated as despised outcasts by those fortunate enough to have a roof over their heads. Right here in Albuquerque, we've recently witnessed how merciless society can be to those among us who have no homes. This morning, you're invited to show that you care by donating to a program that makes a difference for the better in many of these afflicted lives. At a time when such assistance is more than ever needed, what you give will help Art Street keep making that difference. To contribute, simply let, click on the link in the chat box. If you prefer not to give online, you can mail a check to the church earmarked for Art Street. The offering will now be taken. What is generously given is received with gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque, and thank you on behalf of Art Street, a most worthy organization. Our discussion question for today, if you're alone or together or wherever you are, our question for you to ponder is, when are you most human? When are you most human? And we're moving towards extinguishing our chalices, but let's take a moment to honor our community with the peace greeting. So maybe placing your view, zoom view and gallery. Excellent. And placing one hand on your heart with the other hand reaching out towards your community. Letting our faces be a prayer.
Blessed be. Let's let's extinguish our chalices here and at home. And as we do, let us remember to interrupt the dehumanizing forces with our insistence on our common humanity. Go in peace and practice radical love.